who was standing after the neighbor left, the man's son was standing there and had heard this exchange, and he said, what did that mean? You can't have my axe because we're having soup for supper tonight. He said, son, when you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. Well, that's a pretty true statement, isn't it? If, if there's something that you don't want to do and you're offering excuses, one is as good as another. Uh, because really that's what excuses typically are, right? They're offered when we're trying to avoid some duty, some responsibility, something that someone wants us to do, or to explain away a failure when we fail to do something that we should, an excuse is offered in those kinds of circumstances. I would submit to you that there is no, no area, no category in which excuse making is more common than in the matter of religious service. When it comes to religion, serving God, doing His will, I think there are probably more excuses offered there than any place else. For a few minutes this morning, what we want to do is look at some familiar excuses that are offered and demonstrate why they don't work. These excuses are about as flimsy as saying to the man asking for an axe, no, we're having soup for supper. We're going to see how these common excuses really don't work. And the main point is, if they don't work, then we shouldn't try to use them. It does, it's not helpful. Thanks for being here this morning. Before we get further into our study, we'll t stop just briefly to say a thank you to everyone who is here. We're so grateful for your presence. We appreciate you very much. And, and, and we certainly enjoy and uh, relish the opportunity to be together in worshiping God, studying from His Word, serving Him. Th these are great times to be together, and we're glad to share them with you. Thanks for being here. For those who are visiting with us, we extend a special welcome to you. We want you to know that you're welcome here, and we hope that you'll give us a chance before you leave uh, to get to know you uh, and to personally welcome you. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you have any questions about what we're doing here at College View or why, please ask them. We're simply trying very hard to follow the Bible pattern, to have book, chapter, and verse authority for all that we do and teach here at College View. So if you have a question, ask us, and we'll try to answer in that vein. Let's talk about some excuses that don't work. And again, get the point. People are pretty prone to offer excuses about religious uh, failure to do their religious duty to God. What are some of those excuses? Well, one excuse that's very common is the expression, everybody's doing it or everybody does it. You know, the fact of the matter is that that is not a new excuse. Uh, it, it hasn't been dreamed up just recently. In fact, I would argue that if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you see that excuse uh, at, at least in, in the general application of it, here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. In Genesis 3, verse 12, when God questioned Adam, it says, The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave, it, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And so he's basically saying, Well, it wasn't just me, it was this woman. And uh, by the way, if you stop to think about that, in this case, probably the only case in recorded history where it could be said truly, Everybody else did it. In this case, everybody else did it. Because Eve was the only other person and she did it. So Adam could say, well, it wasn't just me. Uh, look, she did it too. Uh, and that was one, of, one part, at least, of the excuse uh, that he was offering. In Exodus chapter 32, you remember the famous incident where 
Moses had been up on Mount Sinai meeting with God to receive the law. And in his absence, the people uh, constructed the golden calf and were worshiping that idol. Aaron had been fully involved in the matter of constructing that golden calf. And he was certainly compromised completely in the matter when when Moses came back down, Exodus 32, verse 22, Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. You notice he emphasized it's the people. The people did this. It's not just me. Everybody was doing this. It was the majority thing. Everybody was involved. He pointed to everyone else trying to deflect attention from himself. King Saul did the same sort of thing in 1 Samuel chapter 15. You recall, again, these are all very famous stories from the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 15 was when Saul had been told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites as a punishment from God. They weren't supposed to bring back any spoils from the battle. Typically, when armies conquered other peoples, they brought back spoils. But in this instance, God said, don't, I don't want you to bring back anything from the Amalekites. Well, the fact of the matter is they, they did not keep that rule. They broke that instruction. And Samuel went out to meet Saul and the people as they were returning from the battle with the Amalekites. And he questioned Saul about this. What are you, what's going on here? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen. It wasn't me. It was everybody else. Everybody else did this. I'm I, I really not responsible because it was what everybody was doing. And I just picked out uh, those several examples to point out that this is not a new excuse that's being offered. So don't think that you came up with it. And don't think that you've come up with a killer excuse that no one else ever thought of before. Don't think that you've come up with something that's going to justify you because, oh, everybody's doing it. I hadn't thought about it that way. No, that's an old argument and it doesn't work. Now, on top of it being an old argument, I would submit to you that it's not a true argument either. And I think this is really an important point to realize. Not everybody is negligent in their service to God. Not everybody is violating the law of God. There are a lot of good people in the world. There are a lot of faithful brethren who are working very hard to be the kind of people that God wants them to be. There are a number of committed young people who are striving very hard to be the kind of folks they should be, even facing the temptations of youth and so forth. It's not true that everybody is doing it. And in fact, the matter is, it has never been true. Did you notice in that reading that Stephen read for us at the start of our service from Genesis chapter 6, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is that even in a day when the world was given over to all kinds of immorality, even then it wasn't true that everybody's doing it because Noah was an exception to that. Now, you've got to admit, these were pretty bad times in the days of Noah. And I would stress that we should never imagine that we live in the worst of all possible times. There's a lot of wickedness in the world today, but don't be trying to convince yourself or others that we live in the worst of all times. It would be pretty hard to convince Noah that we live in the worst of all possible times, wouldn't it? But even in the, in the days of Noah, 
when the world was truly given over to wickedness, not everyone was doing it. There's faithful Noah even at that time. So it's not a new argument. Everybody's doing it. And it's not a true argument either. There are still faithful people of God who try very hard to do the right thing. And furthermore, we need to emphasize that this argument does not justify you. Even if everybody was doing it, it does not justify you. I can remember back to, to days in school when the teacher would give you a homework assignment and in giving the assignment, the teacher would say, now listen, don't come in here tomorrow and offer me some lame excuse like you didn't have time to do this. Uh, don't tell me that the dog ate your homework or anything like that. And so what the teacher was doing was excluding arguments in advance. This was obviously a teacher who had been around long enough to hear them all, hear every sort of an excuse why people didn't do their homework. And so the teacher, before you could offer the excuse, was saying, I want to tell you right now, don't be telling me you didn't have time to do this because you've known about this assignment for some time. Or, or don't be telling me about some other extenuating circumstance. Don't be offering any excuses because... I'm expecting this assignment on time. Well, basically, uh, that's what God has done. He has told us that excuse-making won't work and that this excuse in particular won't work. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, the Lord says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Now think about that for a minute. God knows that most people, in this verse, it's referred to as the multitude, the majority, most people. God knows that most people do evil. He knows that. You're not telling him anything new if you say everybody's doing it, because he knows that. He knows the multitude does evil, but he also said, you don't follow them. Even though the multitude is doing evil, you don't follow them. And it may be true that most people are doing it, but I'm telling you right now, God says, don't use that as an excuse, because I'm telling you, don't follow the multitude to do evil. So concerning this first excuse, and I hope you agree with me, it's a very common excuse. Everybody's doing it. Everybody does it. That's not a new argument. It's not a true argument, and it doesn't work. It doesn't justify anyone. Well, think about another excuse that doesn't work, and that's the excuse that says, I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't see anything wrong with it, someone says. I don't know about you, but I have found this to be a particularly frustrating kind of excuse-making. I'll illustrate what I mean here. Let's say that maybe there's been some rather long discussion about a, a biblical doctrine. Uh, and perhaps you've been very careful in offering Bible verses, scriptural arguments to support your position on something like baptism. Let's say we've been talking about baptism for the remission of sins. And you've, and you've been very careful to show the Bible verses that lead to this conclusion. Or maybe it's another subject. Maybe it's something like instrumental music and worship to God. And so you've opened the pages of the New Testament and you've shown clearly why we conclude that instrumental music is not authorized in New Testament worship to God. Now, it could be any of those kind of subjects, and there, uh, there's a list as long as your arm. But then, after you've been very careful to explain these things, the person that you're talking to, uh, without any effort to answer any of the arguments that you've made from the Scriptures, they just counter with the statement, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, you just went through maybe several minutes worth of biblical argumentation, and they just say, well, I just don't see anything wrong with it. They don't try to answer what you say. They just say, I don't see anything wrong with it. 
Well, let's analyze that for a minute. First of all, you've got to realize that I am not the final authority. You are not the final authority. When, when the person says, I don't see anything wrong with it, they're saying, well, I'm the final authority in this matter. No, you're not the final authority in this matter. As, as mortal humans, we are not the final authority in important spiritual matters. We know that Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We can't do it. It's not up to us, and God doesn't expect us to. He doesn't want us to use our own human wisdom and our own reasoning to, to come to conclusions. He expects us to, to accept his way. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, that statement should ring a bell because these same people who say, I don't see anything wrong with it, are also the same people <laughs> says, who would use the expression, it seems to me, or, or it doesn't seem to me, and so forth. Well, whatever, uh, again, looking back there at Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right. Be careful about basing your practice on what seems right to you. The ends thereof are the ways of death. So, for this statement, I don't see anything wrong with it. Please understand, a big part of the problem with that expression is that you're putting yourself in the position of the final determiner of what's right and wrong, and you are not the final authority. We need, obviously, to learn to see things the way God sees them, because that's what really matters. Now, think of it on this terms. Let's see if we could illustrate it this way. Let's say that you get a new job. Uh, you, you do, maybe you've been without work for a while, and you've been looking for a job very diligently, and you get this new job. Uh, finally, after lots of searching, you land this new job, and on the first day at the new job, one of your fellow employees says, the boss likes it done this way. And he lays out how you're supposed to do your job and how the boss likes it. The boss likes it done this way. Would you think about saying, well, I don't see why it has to be done that way. I don't see anything wrong with doing it this other way. Would you do that? Well, the answer is no. I mean, if you want to keep your job, you're going to do it like the boss likes it done, right? And you're not going to argue, I don't see anything wrong with doing it this other way. You're going to say, oh, well, that, that's what the boss wants. That's what I'm going to do because I sure value this job and I want to keep it, right? Why wouldn't we use that same kind of approach to serving God? If he tells us how he likes it, how he wants it, why would we argue and say, well, I don't see anything wrong with doing it a different way? Well, there is something wrong with doing it a different way. The fact of the matter is he's God, and we need to see things as he sees them, do them as he says to do them. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to be humble enough to accept that to be true. God is far wiser than we are. He sees things a lot better than we do. And his thoughts and his methods are far superior to our own. We need to learn to see things as God sees them. Uh, if we don't, uh, then we, we are demonstrating a proud and arrogant spirit, a lack of humility, 
that God demands us to have. All right, think of one more here before our time is out. What about the expression, nobody's perfect? Uh, I'm sure that you have heard this argument offered, this excuse provided. Well, nobody's perfect, someone says. Uh, maybe, maybe you've even done it yourself. When you failed, when you did something wrong, oh, well, nobody's perfect. Uh, that, that's not a very helpful excuse and again, it doesn't work. First of all, part of the problem with it is, is that it is in the category of comparing ourselves with others. Nobody's perfect. What I'm saying is, I did something wrong, but, but you know, the fact of the matter is, most people do things wrong. And so, in comparison to others, I'm not that bad. In other words, I'm, I'm on a pretty even plane with others. And since nobody's perfect, then I don't have to be perfect, and it's okay. Well, comparing ourselves with others, Paul says, is not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul says that that's not a wise approach. Now, again, I think it's pretty common. And I, I believe that people use it as a means of justifying themselves to say, well, there are people worse than me. Uh, I'm better than most. Some, some sort of faulty comparison of that nature, it doesn't work. In reality, that statement shows no sorrow for sin and no true repentance. Imagine a situation like this. Let's say that there where you live in your neighborhood, one of your neighbors gets real drunk on a Saturday night. And on their way home, they lose control of their car right there on your street. They run over your mailbox and crash into the corner of your house and cause several thousands of dollars worth of damage. And so when you go out there and you're investigating all that has happened, your neighbor laughs and says, well, <laughs> no one's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Well, does that help at all? That when he when he uses that expression, I mean, he just tore up your yard and your mailbox and your house, and he said, "Oh well, no one's perfect." Well, that doesn't help, does it? You're not satisfied with that excuse. And I want to suggest to you, God's not satisfied with that excuse either. What the Lord demands of us when we've done wrong is not excuse making, but repentance. Jesus said in Luke thirteen three, "I tell you, nay, but except you repent." You shall all likewise perish. We have to repent. We have to have a really change, uh, a true change of heart. And this excuse certainly demonstrates none of that. We have to repent. Well, here's just three very common excuses that people offer. And I hope you agree with me that none of them are satisfactory and none of them really do the job of making things better when we've done wrong. Now, you could add to that. There are lots more familiar and common excuses that people offer. Let's just say that excuses don't work. Excuses will cause us to be lost. If what you intend to do uh, is just make excuse for yourself rather than truly getting right with God, then you're going to be lost eternally. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 7, 
2 Thessalonians 1, beginning verse 7, says, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the, of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Um, notice, this describes some people who know not God and who do not obey. I would really especially emphasize those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're not obedient. Well, they may have lots of excuses for why they're not obedient, but the fact is, excuse-making is a failure to obey. And so stop making excuses. Stop uh, what is effectively a deliberate uh, failure to obey God and turn your life around in true repentance because without doing that, our excuse-making will certainly cause us to be lost eternally. What's your situation this morning? How do you stand before God right here, right now? Is it the case that maybe you have taken a lot of excuses for yourself? Let's talk for a minute about those who have not yet obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that plan of Through the years, I've heard lots of different excuses. In fact, uh, I've thought it would have been good back years ago to start keeping a law of all the excuses that I've heard people offer for why they haven't done the will of God. It, it would be a pretty long list now. And actually, when you step back from them just a little bit to, to, to analyze the excuses that Christians offer for why they haven't done what they should do, if it wasn't so serious, they'd almost be comical. Uh, you're not kidding anyone here. You're not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. People can see through. People can see through your excuses. Certainly, God can see through your excuses. So, if you're a child of God this morning and you haven't been doing what's expected as a Christian, we urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.